UNICEF releases a report on Ukrainian schools. More than 1,300 schools have been totally destroyed, and there are others that have been heavily damaged and therefore not ready to be reopened for the academic year. Plus, Ukraine says goodbye to a hero. It's quite sad. A lot of people uh, came to say bye to him. And later in the program, we meet an American woman who went to Ukraine to become a combat medic. And the Russian film industry is making more propaganda films. But are audiences interested? Today is Tuesday, August 29th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Karish in Washington. The Pope is clarifying his comments on Russian history. We'll have that story in a moment. We begin, though, with UNICEF. As kids are heading back to school in much of the world, hundreds of schools have been destroyed in government-held areas of Ukraine since Russia's 2022 invasion. This according to the UN Children's Fund UNICEF on Tuesday. More than 1,300 schools have been totally destroyed, and there are others that have been heavily damaged and therefore not ready to be reopened for the academic year. That's Regina de Dominics, UNICEF's regional director for Europe and Central Asia. Yes, attacks on schools have continued unabated throughout the war in Ukraine. Just last week, uh, teachers were amongst casualties of an attack on a civilian area in the city of Romney. The attack uh, ripped through a school where teachers were preparing lessons for the new academic year. On the same day, a kindergarten in Kherson City was hit in another attack. These senseless and reckless attacks have left many of Ukrainian children deeply distressed and without a safe space to learn. Persistent attacks mean that only about one-third of school-age children are attending classes fully in person, and many are forgetting what they've already learned. They are struggling to remember how to read and write, how to do the basic maths, and, and also struggling to cope with their daily life and with the continuous fears. Up to 57% of teachers report a deterioration in student Ukrainian language ability up to 45% report a reduction in mathematics skills, and up to 52% report a reduction of foreign language abilities. Beyond Ukraine, more than half of the children whose families have fled the conflict to seven nearby countries are not enrolled in national education, UNICEF said, citing language barriers and overstretched education systems. The Vatican is seeking to tamp down an uproar that erupted after Pope Francis praised Russia's imperialist past. AP correspondent Charles de la Desma reports. Vatican spokesman Matteo Brunei says Francis merely wanted to praise the positive aspects of Russia's spiritual and cultural history when he praised Russia's imperial rulers Peter and Catherine the Great during a video conference with Russian Catholic youths. 
Brunei adds, Francis certainly didn't want to exalt imperialistic logic or government personalities who were cited to indicate certain historic periods of reference. The Vatican, and before it the Holy See's embassy in Ukraine, spoke out after Ukraine's Greek Catholic leaders bitterly complained about Francis's remarks. I'm Charles Dolezma. Looking now to entertainment, Russia is set to boost production of movies that will glorify Moscow's actions in Ukraine, but it's not clear if the public will be interested in seeing them. The AP's Mimi Montgomery has that story. Russian authorities are announcing a push to produce movies glorifying their troops and their actions in Ukraine since the invasion, and state funding that filmmakers can tap into is higher than ever. One feature film along those lines, The Witness, which depicts Ukrainian troops as violent neo-Nazis torturing and killing their own people, is out in theaters, and at least two similar movies are in the works. But it's a big question whether such films will attract viewers. Similar productions in the past are described as box office as disasters. Researchers also say public interest in the war may be fading and that people prefer an escape from the news of Ukraine. I'm Mimi Montgomery. Ukraine says goodbye to a famous fighter pilot, and there is some controversy surrounding a potential presidential election next year. I'm joined by Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. All three pilots that died that day, they are getting uh, new titles. Uh, well, unfortunately, after their death, but uh, they, they've they got new titles and they've got awards as well uh, on the official level. And uh, today, yeah, today in Kyiv, uh, there is a funeral ceremony uh, for Jews. Uh, and, uh, well, it's quite sad. A lot of people uh, came to say bye to him. Uh, as, as we mentioned yesterday and as we discussed, he was very, very famous in Ukraine and uh, a lot of expectations were were in for him. Uh, so a lot of people came and it was, uh, well, it was a truly a funeral of a hero. If, if we look at it uh, from, you know, social perspective, so a lot of people, a lot of military uh, representatives, and uh, a certain um, a certain ceremony, which uh, which is done for, you know, not not for everyone. So it was quite uh, well, quite a heartbreaking for Ukrainian uh, nation because uh, such people as Jews, particularly, there are not that much. So that's the scene in Kiev today. Is there an update from the front lines? Not much that we know uh, officially confirmed updates, but uh, today, just a couple of hours ago, general staff of Ukraine confirmed that Ukrainian forces continue their advance and they are moving forward in the Zaporizhia region. Uh, and particularly, as we discussed in our previous programs about uh, the settlement of Robotine in the Zaporizhia region, so this is the point from where Ukrainian forces continue their advance. For the moment, uh, we don't really know much more, but uh, definitely this is uh, an area at the front line to keep an eye on. Another question for you, Anna. Um, we've been talking a lot about President Zelensky and his his actions and his leadership and his um, uh, work with the international community to get aid and military aid for Ukraine. I think one of the things we often overlook, uh, doesn't come to my mind, is that he's an elected leader. And there's going to be elections, uh, I believe, next year. Can you tell us how the political scene in Ukraine is shaping up? What kind of opposition might Zelensky face? 
Uh, well, this is a very, uh, very, really difficult uh, question because um, according to Ukrainian constitution, uh, no elections could be held uh, during uh, the war. So in order to held an elections, uh, well, a constitution should be changed and uh, a lot of laws should be changed. And this is what President Zelensky actually mentioned in his uh, recent interview that uh, in order to held a president elections, and he is supporting this idea, uh, and uh, not only president elections actually, but also parliament elections, uh, which uh, which uh, are scheduled for next year. Uh, in order to do this, a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of laws should be changed, and a lot of uh, money should be invested. Uh, and he particularly mentioned money from partners and allies, and uh, uh, particularly international um, representatives should be present at these elections to control the legitimacy of these elections. And particularly, what is the most difficult is to be for this uh, for these representatives to be present at the at the frontline areas. And uh, again, as I mentioned, the most important is that the law should be uh, adopted to this. So uh, this is just talks for now, but as we can see, President Zelensky discussed this uh, topic with uh, international allies, particularly last week, uh, Senator, uh, U.S. Senator uh, Lindsey Graham was uh, in Ukraine again, uh, had another visit, and uh, this topic was particularly discussed between the president and uh, the senator. We'll stay tuned. We'll wait for more developments um, because a lot has to happen before any election could take place. Anna, you've also been looking at the toll that the war is taking on families. I know in your reporting, you've been speaking to some couples. Um, can you tell us briefly what you found and, and where the story is taking you? Uh, yeah, actually, it's quite a, well, it's, it, it's quite a topic now for Ukraine and quite a topic for discussion because a lot of families uh, with the beginning of this full-scale invasion uh, are divided uh, when uh, women with children are abroad uh, in order to keep children safe and, uh, um, well, just to make sure that uh, part of the family are in more safe place, uh, is in more safe place. And uh, men are remaining in Ukraine and um, they cannot leave Ukraine. Uh, and now it's a point, it's a year and a half, even more now, um, that the war, the full-scale invasion, the full-scale war is ongoing. And now it's, a, a, well, a point when these families have to decide uh, how they continue this journey. Because uh, what what I found out when talking about, uh, about this with uh, actually couples who go through this, um, that there is there are two options. Either women with children come back to Ukraine and reunite, the family is reunited, uh, or uh, most of the, such couples, a lot at least, m maybe not most, but a lot of such couples would face uh, a question of divorce. And actually, I talked to both uh, couples that are going through divorce right now and uh, those who are coming back and uh, also those uh, even who are kind of uh, trying to, you know, make this decision. Uh, and this is quite a big problem now for Ukrainian society because, uh, well, uh, from one point uh, of view, it's about safety uh, and first of all, safety of children. From other point of view, it's about safety of family and 
existence of family. So uh, now, and now I can see also that a lot of women with children are actually coming back, even despite the fact that everyone is expecting another tough winter. Anna Chernikova in Kiev. Anna, as always, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Steve. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Karish. Glenna Menchego is a trained U.S. paramedic who traveled to Ukraine soon after Russia's invasion. When she arrived, she joined the International Legion of Defense of Ukraine in April of 2022. Since then, she's been risking her life to help Ukrainians. Anna Kostachenko met with her just a few kilometers from the front lines. In April, 22-year-old Glenna Manchego, a paramedic from Utah, joined the International Legion of Defense of Ukraine. My dad is a Marine Corps my mom is a contractor on a military base. When I was little, I used to dress up as a soldier. Manchego says when Russia invaded Ukraine, she didn't hesitate to go. You don't just join the medical field um, to not help others. It's, it's how you do it. So when you see... Um, a great need for something that you've dedicated your life for, uh, medicine, and you see a great need for it to be applied somewhere. It doesn't, it shouldn't matter where. Um, I couldn't sit on the couch and donate pennies online uh, to an NGO or something like that uh, when I have a skill set that could be used. Glenna and her team work on call for days in a row. Uh, When you're not busy, that's good in the medical field, because that means nobody's getting hurt on our side. So that's a good thing. So it's a little boring, but good. When you get a call, the first thing that runs in your mind is, okay, do I know this person? Am I even close with this person? Manchego's main duty is to provide first aid to soldiers at the casualty collection point. It is stressful, and she's thankful for her training. When you get to them, there's always that, am I going to freeze? Am I going to know what to do? Um, but then luckily it doesn't happen for everyone, but it happens for most. Your, your training just takes over and it's like you're on autopilot. After first aid is provided, soldiers are taken to the nearest hospital. Actually, this isn't civilian life where, you know, you can turn the lights and sirens and cars will pull over. You're going through the woods, you're going through the bush, you're going through the mud. Um, you're being shelled, you're being shot at. Doing mundane chores around the house is her therapy. She says she feels welcome here and says the Ukrainians and Americans are very much alike. Ukrainian people have, for me, what feels like the spirit, like back home in America. Um, That's another reason I came here as an American. We, We believe in three undeniable truths, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For good luck, Manchego takes a little United States flag with her on every mission. But despite the everyday risks, she says she's in no hurry to go back home and plans to help in Ukraine as long as necessary. Anna Kostichenko for VOA News, Donetsk region, Ukraine. The children's advocacy organization Save the Children says casualties in Ukraine have increased over the past four months at a rate 7% higher than the previous four-month span. 
June was the deadliest month for children in Ukraine so far this year, with 12 children confirmed killed and 45 more injured. The organization says the majority of casualties were attributed to missiles and drones being fired at residential areas. Katerina Litvinenko is the Save the Children's Ukraine Advocacy Manager. She spoke with VOA's Kim Lewis from Kyiv about the increase in child casualties. Yes, so we are seeing that this summer there is a 16% rise in specifically the child casualties in Ukraine. So over the last 18 months, there were more than 500 children that were killed and more than 1,600 that were injured. And specifically, June of the summer was the month where we're seeing the biggest toll on children. It was the deadliest month of 2023 with 12 children killed and 45 children injured. I understand a vast majority of children have been killed or injured by explosive weapons, including artillery, missile and airstrikes, and loitering munitions, also known as suicide drones, since the start of the conflict there in Ukraine. So why are these types of weapons being used in heavily civilian population areas, such as towns and villages? Indeed, this is what we are observing. The conflict is not isolated to battlefields. 95% of air and drone strikes from May through August hit populated areas, and attacks in populated areas, of course, hurt children the most. Not only do they affect the residential areas, but these attacks target schools, they target hospitals, so the very places where children should be safe. And because we want to provide spaces for children where they can be safe, Save the Children runs digital learning centers and helps repair shelters and schools. So we provide them with spaces where they can be safe and continue to learn even during when they're area sirens happening so that they're in safer places. And how is the war in Ukraine affecting children psychologically? Of course, it affects adults and it affects children. I myself am in Kiev right now as well, and it's been a difficult 19 months for me psychologically. But for children specifically, they are young, so they experience the war at a very crucial stage in their lives, developmentally. And it's important to of course, safeguard them from that. But that said, children are also resilient and they are able to go through their days, want to study, want to see their friends. I mean, we work on the ground, we work with children directly and we hear stories and firsthand accounts of children going down to the shelters and kindergartens with their teachers in the form of play. So for instance, they go down to a cave when an air raid siren sounds so that it minimizes the psychological effect, minimizes the fear, but they still can go down to a place where they are safer and they can play and make it into a more sort of engaging situation. Yes, as you say, you're there, you're on the ground, you're able to talk with children, and you've experienced some of the things that they're going through. So what is their outlook on life living in this type of situation? Yeah, we speak to kids, we speak to families on the ground, Just this past weekend, there was an attack in Chernihiv during a religious holiday. It was a big attack, and a six-year-old girl was killed as a part of it, and 180 civilians were injured when a missile hit a big theater. There was a lot of people there. And we spoke to 
a woman uh, who we're supporting who told us a story of her grandson. He was home alone, sleeping when a missile hit an apartment block in their neighborhood and their home was badly damaged. But he survived. He was terrified, of course, but he was able to share that. And Save the Children does work with kids to provide them with mental health support so that we're able to have a conversation with them so they can talk through the experiences that they have, so they can share emotions with us, with mental health professionals. That helps them to work through the experiences and, as I said, to be more resilient in these situations. But it is horrifying to see that attacks are increasing and more and more children are casualties of these attacks. And also, can you tell us about the displacement of children? I understand there's a large population of displaced children. Maybe over a million have crossed into neighboring countries as refugees and 2.5 million who are now internally displaced inside Ukraine. So what is being done to help these children? You're correct. Millions have been displaced internationally. Millions have been displaced within the country. One of the important things that we are doing is ensuring that they continue to study and have access to education. This is something that creates a ritual for them, creates peer bonding, and creates resemblance of normalcy. We want to make sure that they have as much access to -to face-to-face education. And so we build shelters, we renovate damaged schools, for children to be able to go back to their friends, their teachers, and to the study process. But also for those who are displaced to areas that are not safe, where there is no access to safe schools, we ensure that there is online education process. So digital learning centers are centers that we set up for children in areas where there are no schools. So they can go in, they can do their homework, they can do arts and crafts, they can again talk to their peers, spend time together, as well as providing children with devices. About a third of children across the country don't have access to their online education because of lack of devices. It may be multiple children in the same family and only one device. So we provide tablets, we provide devices so that they're able to continue with their process and relieve that burden on the families and the parents. In the meantime, that's VOA's Kim Lewis with Katerina Litvinenko of Save the Children. You can hear more on VOA's issues in the news. We heard earlier in the program in our conversation with Anna Chernikova that today in Kiev was the funeral for the famous Ukrainian fighter pilot known to the world as Juice. His real name was Andrei Plishchikov. People paid their respects to him as they attended his funeral service in Kiev. Juice was one of three pilots who died following a mid-air collision between two aircraft last week. According to the Ukrainian Air Force, two L-39 training aircraft collided during a combat mission over Ukraine's Zhodomor region. Plishchikov, who was an outspoken advocate for Ukraine getting F-16 fighter jets, died in the incident, along with Vyaslav Minka and Sergei Prokhazan. The 30-year-old pilot was also fighting for reform within the Ukrainian Air Force, trying to provide pilots with the resources they needed and bring new technologies and weapons to Ukraine. Andrei Shizenko is press officer for the 40th Brigade of Tactical Aviation. Uh, uh, Jews live with idea of uh, reforming of uh, Air Force of Ukraine, 
of our brigade uh, of tactical aviation and uh, he dream a lot about Ukrainian victory, about peaceful time. Ukrainian authorities have launched an investigation into last week's crash, but have so far said it's not clear how long the probe will take. And that's going to do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day. Visit us online at voanews.com and on social media be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of everyone at VOA, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Karish. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.